Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. How you doing, everybody? I'm John Alois, joined by Sean Dagenhart. Bright Suns. And our good buddy, John Redling Schaefer. Hello, hello. We hope you're having a great week. You can tell we are. We would love for you to follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. We're at Hub Hyperion. We'd love for you to email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. You can also send us a voice recorded message there. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us so more people can find the show. We like to kick things off with our Disney views, and for that, I'm going to throw it over to Sean. Star Wars fans, our moment has arrived. Uh, Disney just announced the Galactic Star Cruiser experience. It sounds amazing. I don't think I will ever be in the financial position to be able to do it, so I will be looking for lots of pictures. Uh, it's a two-night experience aboard the Halcyon Star Cruiser. The Halcyon is a Corellian MPO 1400 star cruiser operated by the Chandrilla Star Line, a luxury cruise line. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. They've got some things scheduled, but then throughout the course of the two nights and two days, you get to kind of decide if you want to maybe you know join the First Order or fight with the Resistance. Um, it's a basically choose-your-own-adventure where you are the hero. They've got things set up over the course of the days, a couple days with lightsaber training and sabak lessons and droid racing, and they're encouraging you to wear your costumes, um, characters all throughout the ship. Um, you get some time on Batu where you can do Rise of the Resistance and Smuggler's Run on the Millennium Falcon. It sounds amazing. The food. Um, of course, for, you know, from all posts in the galaxy, you've got food represented there. It just sounds like an amazing experience. Then you get to the fun part. Um, two guests per cabin on the Halcyon for two nights will be $4,800. Three guests per cabin, $5,300. And if you've got four guests... $6,000 for two nights, two days. Two nights, three days, right? Two, it's Is it three days? Yeah. Well, yes, it's, yeah. it's a half day on that last day, I believe. Yeah, so that makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> makes it much more affordable. <laughs> no, it sounds amazing. And the pictures and the concept art I've seen just look incredible. Every wealthy Star Wars lovers will be just, I mean, they'll be living it up. How many cabins do you remember? Is it just over a thousand, I believe? I don't remember how many they said. It's pretty small. Um, here's what's interesting to me. First of all, I was expecting this to be very expensive because all along they said yeah. it was like a a cruise. I didn't yeah, know exactly. it would be this expensive. This is not going to be a drop of the hat trip. It's going to be a once, maybe twice in a lifetime type of thing. What'll be interesting is I saw that itinerary and it is pretty packed. Um, you mentioned choose your, choose your own adventure. So you're saying during those story times or, or uh, just the idea of selecting what path you want to take? I think it sounds like there are things that everybody does together. You know, you get on board and you have your, you know, orientation on the ship and things like that. And the way the day evolves, then you get to kind of select 
now I want to go do this. And then that plays out. Choices you make in those early experiences play out over the next couple days. So I'm wondering, are you going to be doing things with a hundred other people? I mean, I'm curious how well they'll break that down to really make it my own. You know, I, I don't want to go do things with another 200 people, but maybe they don't have a choice. I mean, John, you, you're right. You look on a Google Earth view and it doesn't look that big. So I'm just kind of curious how much liberty or freedom you're going to have to kind of wander and do your own thing and how much is actually going to be contained within your own cabin as well. I right. just have a, I have a feeling this is going to evolve the closer we get. The more they test it, the more they really try to figure out what's going to work best. And if this price is going to stay, it'll, it'll obviously be there for the first year or two, but I wonder if you'll start seeing discounts or, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's a huge risk, but Disney at its core has always taken big risks. Now, I have to say, in looking at the frequently asked questions, my biggest risk-reward option seems to be those Star Wars fans who really think they're going to space, and even asked, apparently at some point, or the Disney lawyers felt it appropriate to warn people that, no, unfortunately, you will not be traveling to outer space as part of this adventure. So... I guess you got to be careful what you promise. Way to blow the coverage level. You may question, you know, (laughs) ruin the magic, John. Um, The other part of this is the other galaxy edges that exist. Galaxy edges or galaxy's edge? Uh, Batus. Good question. The other Batus. If you're an English major, write to us. (laughs) Uh, The one in Disneyland and then the one... uh, currently being built i think it's still being built in disneyland paris if this is successful you know they're going to want these star cruisers or a fleet of star cruisers and these other uh properties as well so we'll see this is a this is a big deal for disney and hopefully it it excites star wars fans i was excited about it um i don't have to stay there but it would be fun well do you think at the you know Three days, two nights. Do you think that will be something you do or people will want to do in addition to their trip? Or you think they're going to fly down to Orlando just for two days of this? I mean, that two days is not very long. If you're doing this I, I, as part of a, uh, an overall trip, that's, that's like that's a huge. That's when you're going once every five years. And that's right. not the typical Disney fan. I think they are really trying to hone in on Star Wars fans around the world. I think you're right. And as Sean said, the financially secure ones especially, I could see people doing three or four adventures in a row if they're really loaded. You know, why not? I'm doing just Star Wars stuff. I I see people coming to Florida or California or Paris in the future just to do that. The other thing that excites me about this is the absolute theming start to finish 100%. This could open mm-hmm. the door to so many other things, other entities that we've never even thought about. And and you know there's going to be copycats as well. There could be a, an all Harry Potter castle retreat somewhere in England or other properties that might want to take advantage of Uber fans. Disney legend Claude Coates began working at the Hyperion Studio in 1935 as a background painter in Mickey Mouse shorts and the Silly Symphony cartoons. Eventually, 
He was painting backgrounds on full-length features from Snow White in 1937 to Peter Pan in 1953. Then he switched roles for Disney, becoming an Imagineer, designing theme park attractions, helping to create the iconic Pirates of the Caribbean, The Haunted Mansion, and many others. This week, we have the author of a new book about Claude Coates and Claude's son joining us. Author and co-host of the Skull Rock podcast, Dave Bossert is with us, and retired Imagineer Alan Coates joins us as well. Thank you both for joining us on the Hyperion Hub. Thanks for having us. We're delighted to be here. Dave, let's start with you. The name of the book is Claude Coates, Walt Disney's Imagineer, The Making of Disneyland from Toad Hall to the Haunted Mansion. Please tell us how this project started. Give us your background with Claude and just the project in general. Absolutely. Uh, This project really uh, was very serendipitous. Uh, Like most of my books, it kind of dropped in my lap. Uh, uh, I had been at a conference about five years ago uh, and Alan was at the conference and we didn't know each other at that point. Um, I was walking into the conference uh, room and uh, Alan was walking back out towards me and he saw my name badge and he said, Dave Bossert, I just bought your Dolly and Disney book at Barnes and Noble. And I was like, wow, my book is at Barnes and Noble. Holy <laughs> mackerel. I was, I was so excited about that. And I just kind of got a glimpse of his name badge and it said Alan Coates. And I thought, man, he's got to be Claude Coates' son. And so at the morning break uh, in the conference, I went looking for him and I couldn't find him. And I went up to a mutual friend of ours and I, and I said, where's Alan? And he said, oh, Alan wasn't feeling well and he went home. And I said, wow, you know, I, I had met his father and I, I just wanted to meet him and tell him what a great, great guy his dad was. And so our mutual friend put us together uh, via email and Alan and I wound up meeting for lunch at the Talleyrand in Burbank, uh, which is almost like a second commissary to the Disney Studios. And uh, it was at that lunch uh, that I got a chance to, to talk to Alan and tell him I had uh, met his father numerous times and had sat with him in the, the Imagineering commissary and peppered him with questions and how gracious he was and what a wonderfully nice guy and open and gentle and giving and just, you know, just the sweetest guy. And, um, uh, and by the end of the lunch, Alan, uh, Alan looked at me and he says, Hey, he goes, would you be interested in doing a book on my father? You know, I mean, he obviously, Alan knew that I had written a number of books at that point and, and he asked me, and of course I said, yeah, let's do it. I, and I thought it would be a slam dunk. Uh, honestly, I thought, well, a book about Claude Coates. I mean, this guy had a 54 and a half year career at the Disney Studios. I mean, I, I mean when you really look at that career, uh, you know, Coates started in 1935. He, he did his first 20 years on some of the most magnificent animated films of all time. And not only that, he contributed backgrounds that are just so stunning and helped to create these environments and moods in the old mill and Snow White and Pinocchio, you know, all those films up to uh, Lady and the Tramp. And then he's handpicked by Walt Disney to become one of the original Imagineers, right? And he spends the next 15 years 
working on the you know building Disneyland. You know what what many consider to be the golden age of Disneyland that first fifteen years, and and not only that, he's he's the the lead show designer of some of the most iconic attractions that have now been populated at the parks all around the world: Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion. Uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland, the sub voyage, it, it just goes on and on. And uh, and so I just thought, man, you know, what what a great opportunity. And where do you start? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you tell that story? So that that's really how it got off the ground. Alan, you grew up uh, around Disney. It's literally in your DNA. Was this process a thrill for you? What was it like to relive these memories of your father for a book? It was, uh, uh, let me see, how was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was nostalgic for me, of course, to, uh, to relive you know, my father's career. I worked with my father so, and watched him you know, be creative since I was a kid. So it was like, here's Dave coming along. And that was a great introduction. Dave, you said it all. So I don't know what I can add <laughs> what, to that. What? Oh, you got, you got plenty to add, Alan. You really do. Because, because honestly, I mean, you, you guys should know this. This book could not have been done if, if Alan wasn't involved. I mean, Alan opened up the family archives, you know, all of his father's papers and photos and artwork and everything that Alan has lovingly cared for. Uh, he made available. So so this book would not exist if it wasn't for Alan Coates. Well, and, and that's that's well, kind of what I wanted to ask, because you guys go to lunch. It sounds like you both had an idea of what you wanted to maybe accomplish or at least discuss at the lunch. But Alan, were you thinking before this lunch, well, I would like someone to write a book about my dad? I mean, it, it, takes, some, it takes a leap of faith to finally make that ask. I'm just kind of curious yes. what led to that lunch. Yes, right. I was thinking that, of course, because someone had asked me, oh, why don't you write a book about your father? People have asked me that before. And I didn't want to write a book about my father. I didn't want the son writing the book about the father. I, I have those kinds of books. And you wonder, how accurate is this? I mean, is this the true story? I wanted Dave to be enough distance apart from the, to be able to look at it objectively, right? And to be an honest uh, observer of the man and, uh, interview me and and tell the story through my memory of my father but he writes the story that's the way it should be so i think i felt comfortable with that approach to have him and then to work with dave i did have the archive i did have the experience of working shoulder to shoulder with my father i knew imagineering and so i could pitch in when necessary with photographs and, and concept work and artwork, my father's original art, all the way back to the Watercolor Society in the early 30s. I had the goods visually, I think, to uh, incorporate into the project, but Dave was responsible for making it happen as far as writing the story, and that worked out very well between us. But, you know, the other thing I would add to this, I I, I want to uh, really give the credit where credit's due. You know, Alan and I spent a lot of time talking about 
how to tackle this story because honestly, you know, when when you're looking at the magnitude of Claude Coates's career and his incredible contribution to the Walt Disney Company, not only in animation and not just at Disneyland, but at Walt Disney World, at Paris, at Tokyo, um, you know, we had to we, we had to narrow the focus of the book because you couldn't do justice to trying to cover all of that material uh, in, in in one tome. Uh, so so we really had a lot of conversations and we, we played around with a lot of different titles for this book and ultimately came up with what is a mouthful, but really it's, <laughs> it's Claude Coates. It's Claude Coates, Walt Disney's Imagineer, the making of Disneyland, right? I mean, that's the title and that says it all. And, and so we really, you know, we, we, we did focus in on that, that first 15 years of, uh, of, uh, of the making of Disneyland. Uh, and, the, and, and of course the first chapter sort of sets it up. Uh, and we touch on his, uh, you know, uh, animation career and how he got to, to to Disney and his his education and things like that. So those were important things. But those are also things like that first chapter you could expand out into an entire book because uh, there's so much more material that that you could add to that. But but we we did that as an introduction. He considered himself having two careers, right? And the first was with animation and the second was with Imagineering. But, you know, on on the surface, they look like two different careers. But in actuality, I think he had an architect background. Didn't he study architecture at some point? Yes, he did. He he studied architecture and fine arts both at USC. And he had to make a decision between the two. But he did have that background in architecture and working in dimension. Let's expand on that. So his backgrounds in films like Pinocchio, um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I remember as a as a small child seeing a Disney movie, an older Disney movie, uh, any of the movies that he worked on um, from Snow White to Pinocchio and, and so on, and seeing a difference, you know, between a Disney cartoon and any other cartoon, and it was in the backgrounds. It was the detail of the backgrounds and the layout of those backgrounds. And the older I got, I understood that a little bit more. How did that factor into these environments, these immersive environments that he created in theme park attractions? How did he bring that into that world? I thought Dad's backgrounds were very dense. They were very dimensional. They were very, there was... There was, there was perspective in it, and you, you could be lost in his, his backgrounds, particularly in beginning with Pinocchio, when he worked in a medium called gouache or opaque watercolor that was thicker. It was, it, it, there was more of an opportunity to develop a, real, a realistic-looking setting than Snow White gave him the opportunity to do, So, in, particularly in Fantasia as well. So I think... Uh, Dave, you can explain maybe more about that because you're the animation expert. Well, you know, I, I, and I, 
I have to say, when when you look at the background work that Claude did, uh, he not only created depth in the paintings, but he created a mood and an atmosphere that actually contributed and supported what was going on in the story. And that's hugely important for people to understand because these weren't just sort of these simple flat backgrounds that a character was slapped against. This was this was actually you know creating depth. And they further enhanced those backgrounds with the multiplane camera mm-hmm. uh, and being able to uh, change focal points on backgrounds and things like that, or, or layers of backgrounds. So, you know, you look at a film like The Old Mill, which won an Academy Award, the, the little bit of character animation that's in that picture is incidental animals, birds, that are supporting the story of this old structure, this mill and a storm that comes through. And I think that you look at a film like The Old Mill and you have to sit there and and say that that's a background picture. Claude even is quoted as saying The Old Mill was the first time that they could essentially point to it and say that's a background picture. That, that picture was all about the background, the mood, the atmosphere, and less about character uh, personality uh, that, you know, is indicative of the Disney films. But but when you sit there and look at these environments that he created, it is a natural transition to go from that, from these, him creating, creating the illusion of depth in a 2D painting uh, to then expanding that out into a 3D environment that you could put people in a ride vehicle and put them through. Yeah, that's why it lends itself so well. Uh, The visuals in the book are wonderful. I'm so happy that you guys collaborated on this. I can't wait till everybody sees it. Uh, The photos and the the artwork is stunning. This is great. So after all was said and done, where do you think your dad's passions were strongest? You think it was with the background animation with the films, or was it at Imagineering with the the, uh, theme park attractions? They were equally strong because he he told me, well, I had two careers. I had my two-dimensional career in animation and a three-dimensional career in uh, art direction and Imagineering. And I think, you know, he did what he did in animation. Then he told me after Lady in the Tramp, he said, I've had enough of this. I don't want to sit alone in a room and paint backgrounds anymore. And he knew he had to move on into dimension and art direction and Imagineering. So I think... Uh, he probably liked his dimensional work in Disneyland and, and the, the theme parks. Uh, that was his destiny to, to go on to do that. I mean, it would, it worked. He was the right person in the right place at the right time for both uh, for both mediums that he worked in. It's difficult as an artist. And I, I started my career as an artist. You're as an artist, you're evolving all the time. You know, so so, you know, oftentimes I get hit with the question like, well, what was your favorite film that you worked on? You know, and I don't have a favorite film because every film was a challenge. Every film has fond memories for one reason or another. Uh, and every film I learned something new on, you know, so I, I, I having met Claude and talked to him as much as I had talked to him sort of at the tail end of his career when I was starting my career at the company. You know, my sense is is that he was an artist at his core and he had done all of this 
magnificent work on these animated pictures. And he evolved into then taking all of that knowledge that he had acquired over that first 20 years, and he was applying it now into an expanded role, into a dimensional environment, and how would those work? And also, you know, creating these models. You know, during Lady and the Tramp, he was creating scale models of the various rooms within the houses and the various sets in Lady and the Tramp to get a sense of the dog's eye view. You know, being able to take a picture from what the dog would be seeing in, a, in that kind of an environment, which was an aid to how the picture was being laid out uh, and how the backgrounds would look. And so, you know, I, I sit there and would say this was a natural evolution for him. The third element of influence was color styling. My father received most of his screen credits in animation as a color stylist, and this gave him an an opportunity to look at the entire picture. He wasn't just painting the backgrounds. He was saying, how is this film going to look? Think about how different Cinderella looks, how lush it is compared to Alice in Wonderland, more abstract and more angular, whatever, because the stories are different. So he had to look at story. He was a storyteller. He had to look at how does this picture Look, how does the background work with the character so the color doesn't overwhelm the other? And so this helped him, I think, look beyond into what became Imagineering. There was a transition there, not only in backgrounds, but in styling the pictures, how they looked on the screen. That's another element he brought into the mix in his career. And we'll have the second half of our conversation next week. In part two, we'll take a much closer look at two of Claude Coates' greatest Imagineering projects, Pirates of the Caribbean and The Haunted Mansion. Once again, the name of the book is Claude Coates, Walt Disney's Imagineer, The Making of Disneyland from Toad Hall to The Haunted Mansion, and it's available for pre-order right now at theoldmillpress.com, Amazon, or wherever you purchase your books. I want to let you know about another podcast I'll actually be a guest on this week, Coffee with Kenobi, the great Star Wars show with host Dan Zare or Dan Z. He's been on our podcast. Check out our archives for episode 15 from about a year ago. I was fortunate enough to be on with Dan and fellow guest Clayton Sandell as we discussed our top five moments of Star Wars nostalgia from our childhood. It drops Thursday, September 2nd. If you're not a subscriber of Coffee with Kenobi, you should be, especially if you're a Star Wars fan. It's fantastic. Please like, follow, and subscribe to our show, The Hyperion Hub, wherever you're listening to us right now. And tell a few friends about us. Have a great week, everybody. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at the hyperionhub.com find us on social media on facebook instagram and twitter the hyperion hub is not affiliated with the walt disney company or its subsidiaries we'll meet you next time at the hyperion hub